Welcome back, everybody, to the Into the Light podcast. It's been a minute since we've recorded, but yeah, this feels a little weird. it does feel a little bit weird. I'm this like, is the podcast is where we let everybody know how much Jesus loves them. And that's how we're going to start starting out these episodes. Yay! I like that. <laughs> we are super excited for our episode today. We've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Yeah. And because of our crazy lives right now, it's hard <laughs> to find a time to to record, but we're sitting in the UVU library with actual microphones in front of our faces, which is a change for our recent episodes. <laughs> so it's, it's like good times. It's good vibes yeah, right now. I but love it. we have one of our favorite people from our ward right now, Sienna Galvez, and Bray's going to introduce her real quick. <laughs> yeah, Sienna's been in our ward for a minute, and you guys know how we love to pull people from our ward because we love them so much. Yeah. But <laughs> Sienna is from Provo, Utah. Mm-hmm. And she has an amazing, beautiful sister that I know. Her name's Maya. Love her too. And Sienna is probably one of the most outgoing but genuine and vulnerable people right out the gate. Like I remember <laughs> the first memory I have of Sienna. I, we I'm curious to hear society. this now. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> we were in Relief Society. And who knows what we were talking about. But Sienna goes up and she raises her hand. She says, well, I have something to say. And I said, well, let's listen to her. In the lesson? <laughs> yes. Oh. I was like, stop the show. I don't know why I have to, like, announce myself. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. But that's Sienna in a nutshell. And we are so excited for her to tell us her story. She's also yeah. single-handedly, like, kicked off her ward group chat and made it a thing that people actually want to participate in. Was that in. me? Yeah. I, I do so many things that true. I don't take credit for. I think yeah, that's I think like my true. toxic trait. No, 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 because no. like everyone's like hype about it, sh- sh- sending emojis and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And Sienna's like inviting people over for food and oh, yeah. and then they they're like Shakes. we're snagging you for the activities. Me, haha. <laughs> yeah, Heck that's how yeah, they got me did. in my calling. I think. Heck yeah, but it's fun. I love that's it. How they work. <laughs> that's how they work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Sienna, sorry, I forgot. This is my part. Is it my part still? You got it, dude. Okay, great. So, we're so excited to have Sienna on. And first, Sienna, we're going to start with a question that mm-hmm. we ask everybody. But we kind of want to know a little bit more about your background. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the gospel, how your family was with the gospel, how you grew up related with the gospel. Yes. Of course. Take okay. It away. So, I mean, you can... You can take a gander take a guess but i grew up in provo utah and not saying that automatically makes you lds but (laughs) there's a pretty good chance and i yeah i've grown up in the church my whole life and my mom is from this area as well so i have a ton of my mom's side of my family in like utah and nearby states mostly you know pioneer stock right goes all the way back so super super solid and like a lot of strong active members of the church and the really cool thing is my dad's story is really different. He's from Mexico originally. His family immigrated here to the U.S. in the, oh, I think, the 80s or 70s. And so, and then when his family, his immediate family, were over there in California, they met the missionaries when my dad was like 12, I think, around that time. Him and his siblings were pretty young, and they joined the church, mm-hmm. all, all of them around the same time there in California. Okay. <clears throat> and so... Long story short, my mom served a mission in that area, met my dad's family through that, and then after the mission, my mom was here in Provo going to BYU, and my dad and his brother were like, there's no members to date out here. So they moved to Utah, 
And then my parents got in touch again because wow. my dad was like, she was a pretty cool missionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the joke, right? It's like, they're like, we didn't do anything sketchy on the mission. But he had an electrifying handshake. Am I right? <laughs> he said, Anyways, she's the one. <laughs> yeah. So that's how my parents ended up here again. And they stuck around ever since. And yeah, that's kind of where my family comes from. Awesome. Yeah. So I always grew up in the in the church, solid family members on both sides are active members and do you have like fhes every monday scripture study prayer pretty going to seminary? Yeah, I would say pretty consistently yeah. all that you know attending church every sunday mm-hmm. and that kind of does go into a little bit of what we're going to get into but my mom's family is very like especially like her dad her parents i think like my grandparents on that side have always been pretty rigid with the gospel very mm-hmm. like letter of the law type yeah. of thing black and white yeah and so that definitely bled into our family because my mom's i would say has always been like the really dominant influence in the home she was a stay-at-home mom never really like worked um my dad was always the one working providing for us and obviously he was really present too like he was a great father and involved in our lives as well mm-hmm. but my mom was definitely more like the ringleader of mm-hmm. all those things and and so naturally she's the ringleader of the gospel yeah yeah but i think especially with my dad's family being converts to the church you know not having so much history and being like i don't know i think naturally they just weren't as like strict with certain things in the church but my mom's family always was and so she was always like you know we always do this we always do that in Mm -hmm. the church and all that and i appreciated it like it was good to have that structure and you know gain those gospel habits really early but I think sometimes as, I, as I've grown up, I'd be like, I think, you know, we could like loosen up on some things a little bit. But we'll and go more the, into that later on. You're the oldest, right? I am the oldest and child. And how many siblings do you have? I just have two younger sisters. And we're, my next sister is four years younger than me. And the one after that is two years younger. So we're only like six year difference oh, wow. altogether. Mm-hmm. So we've always been pretty tight. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. When... When you were growing up, did your parents, did you believe and did you kind of have a really good testimony or was it mostly just like, this is what we do, this Mm -hmm. is how we do it? I personally, I feel like I've had this like gift of faith, like pretty much my whole life. It's kind of crazy because I think, yeah, I would grow up and, you know, in young women's and stuff around that age, people are starting to be like, well, I feel like the leaders really start to emphasize like, you need to pray and ask God if the church is true and the Book of Mormon is true and gain your own testimony. And, like, I always did that because I was like, I need to, like, make sure I know for sure. But I always, like, had a lot of faith Mm -hmm. and, like, didn't ever question things that much. It wasn't really, like, hard for me to accept and embrace the gospel. And my mom was like, you don't need, like, a super strong, like, revelation or feeling. Like, I think you just know that you'll come to know that you know it's true just because you're... Doing the right things. And so, yeah, I feel like I always was pretty accepting of the gospel in my life. Would you say that your family was the quote-unquote perfect Mormon family or tried to portray that to the outside world? Um, I wouldn't say it was like we're trying to like put on that like... I don't know if you say facade. I should say ideal, like idealistic. I would say that that's how I felt about my family for Mm -hmm. sure. Like we didn't, we always were doing the right things. And, you know, all my family is really active in the church. I saw my parents always being active in their callings and all of that. So, yeah. 
I would say that's how I felt it was <laughs> for the most part. That's pretty common, I yeah. think, mm-hmm. for a lot of the people that we have on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you go to a Spanish ward or did you grow up in an English ward? I, I grew up going to an English ward. Okay, yeah. just curious because <laughs> I knew you came from a Spanish ward. so I was interested. Yeah, I okay. went to the Spanish YSA ward, YSA ward in Provo for a while, but okay. that was after my mission. So I didn't know Spanish. I, I knew some Spanish, but I didn't speak it fluently oh, okay. until after curious. my mission. Yeah. Cool. So let's dive into kind of what you came on the podcast to share. Yeah. Where where does it all start for you? Okay. Well, kind of going back to the idea of like, you know, we were like super strong in the church. Everything was good. I, I kind of, I go back to the way that I sort of thought about or questioned like how perfectly happy my family was <laughs> in the church when I was like a youth right like young women's i remember i went to young women's camp every single year and i don't know bray if did you go to young women's mm-hmm. camp like if this was your experience in your ward or if it's more of a utah thing i don't i don't know but like girls camp testimony meeting night at the oh, yeah. very end like it was always like a huge sob fest and i wasn't i'm not trying to make fun yeah. like i have to be <laughs> clear here i'm not making fun of the girls who would start crying and, yeah. because the the spirit was strong and everything but I feel like, yeah, everyone would get up, like a lot of the young women would get up and start talking about like these horrible, difficult things they're going through. And like, I was aware of it, you know, like I was like, there were people in the ward whose parents passed away or mm-hmm. I don't know, just dealt with a lot of social anxiety, feeling left out, mm-hmm. you know, typical things, I guess, for teenagers and also depression, all these other things. And I was always like, I was like, wow, this is so hard and sad. Like, I just didn't know how to comprehend it at mm-hmm. the age because I felt like I didn't go through anything hard. Yeah. Like, not to say I didn't have some bad days, but, like, I don't know why. Like, I just felt like my family, like, we were just so cushioned, and I was I was doing well in school. I was had friends. Like, I never... No official trials. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> label stamp. This is a trial. Like, you went through this thing. So I just felt like I hadn't been, like, tested yet, yeah. and it was kind of this thing of, like almost like survivor's guilt like i'm going through life like just swimming along why hasn't this happened to me but also i was kind of like scared i was like but when i had these thoughts i was like i don't want god to think like i want something bad yeah, to happen yeah, to yeah. me you know what i'm, I'm saying chilling but yeah. what's going on yeah but i'm like yeah but i'm like why are other people going through these crazy hard things and like i'm not I'm just chilling and i was you know i had that faith and i think nothing had really like had to challenge it yet so that was kind of how I felt up through like young women's and pretty much getting through high school. Like, and so I just kind of followed like that trajectory of the gospel. I always pretty much from the time I was like 14 or 15, I knew I wanted to serve a mission. And so that was my goal. And I always was like, if nothing else gets in the way, like I'm just gonna, when I get to that age, I'll go serve my mission. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things just kind of went as I had planned them, I guess. And, you know, I turned 19 and got ready and I served my mission from, in the Texas Lubbock mission from September, 2019 was when I went to the MTC through March of 2021 is when I got back. Obviously like, oh wait, man, I want to go back. Okay. Yeah, you're good. We're going back in the timeline a little bit. So I guess that is kind of, you know, my life was following that trajectory. I guess the first big hard thing I would say that happened to our family actually, and this isn't like the focus I guess that I wanted to talk about for the whole thing, but I think it kind of plays in to the later things we went through, 
my younger sister Maya, the one who's four years younger than me, she was diagnosed with cancer when she was like 11. Mm. So around like 2016, I think it was like the end of 2015, going into 2016, we found out she had cancer. It was like osteosarcoma. So it was a tumor on her shin, on her leg. And they caught it really early on. So it was never like this thing of like, you know, she was going to pass away or anything. Thank goodness. But it was obviously still a major trial because she had to go through like nine months worth of chemotherapy Mm. and a huge surgery physical therapy to pretty much to like relearn how to walk on the lake after they took the tumor out and wow. <clears throat> you know and that was the end of your high school career that was kind of that was like my junior year around that time so I was like 16 so that was kind of tough like for obviously tough for the whole family I still feel like I was really blessed to have an okay time getting through that but I remember like my 16th birthday like my mom wasn't my mom and my sister weren't home because they were at the hospital with my sister doing treatments in Salt Lake City, and it was a bummer. My grandma was there and she like put donuts and balloons in my room when I woke <laughs> up. But it was like yeah. a lot of those things of sixteen weren't really happening, like getting ready to drive and stuff because my mom wasn't really able to be around as much. But you know I can't complain because my sister's going through freaking <laughs> cancer, yeah. so I was like we were just focused on her and her getting better, and. She eventually, you know, she went through the treatments and to this day she's been cancer free. So that's awesome. We got through that. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, So Maya is a freaking warrior. Shout out to Maya. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) She'll probably listen to this later. (laughs) And so my mom, right, being the stay at home mom and everything, like naturally she was the one going to the hospital for those overnight stays and everything with my sister during that time. And I remember she kind of expressed that when, like, I mean, it's interesting because we had a really, really great homeward work growing up. Like, I love my homeward and so many wonderful people and families. And I remember during that time, like, so many people, like, when we would go to church, they're, like, praying at the pulpit over our family because oh, everyone knew about the situation, right? Like, the bishopric knew. They came and gave my sister blessings and everyone blessings when, like, we first got the diagnosis and all this stuff. And so there's so much outward support, right? Um and also, like, my mom was released from any calling she had at the time because they were just like, you're dealing with your kid going through this. Like, just take mm-hmm. care of her. Just focus on that. And so that was my mom's job, right, taking care of my sister during that time. And I remember when, you know, all the treatments were over and my sister was in recovery, coming back home and kind of coming back to the reality of, like, real-life normal responsibilities again for my mom I remember her kind of expressing that she was like, it's kind of hard getting back into things, even just being a stay-at-home mom of like, okay, now, you know, they gave her a calling again, and she's expected to, like, take care of the home and the meals and the shopping and everything just like she did before. She just kind of, I remember her mentioning that it was just sort of difficult for her to get back into that routine, Hmm. coming from, like, going for several months without those expectations, I guess. And so I think that was probably the first time that I really heard her express any, like, anxiety over just, like, everyday stuff. But it was really just kind of part of this pattern of the way that my mom was that I think we all just got used to that we didn't really notice Mm. was maybe problematic. My mom's super particular and meticulous about certain things, like... I don't know, I have to give like little examples to kind of paint a picture because these things, like I just grew up with it. This was how my mom was. I didn't think it was like abnormal, but like my dad was like not allowed in the kitchen because 
he had to he wouldn't put dishes in the right place or like <laughs> the way the dishwasher was like set up to, to run like had to be a certain way like dishes go a certain direction tiny little things like down to like and my mom still does this stuff like she you know like a bottle of dressing that you buy at the store some of them have like the little like <laughs> i don't know how to describe this like the bottle caps with like a smaller hole so they don't all just like pour out mm-hmm. if my mom bought a bottle of dressing that didn't have one of those she like kept the old ones from previous dressing <laughs> bottles and washed them and like put them on there because she's like i can't have my dressing pouring onto my like spilling all over my salad or like just the randomest stuff that like i feel like from the outside people be like this is so this is kind of crazy like, yeah <laughs> everything organized she was always like the over preparedness mom you know like everything she always carried around a big purse full of stuff she had everything down to like hair you know nail clippers hair ties all sorts of little medications and like whatever you needed and i like i love that about my mom like it's nice i appreciate yeah, like, it so i'd be profan please thank yeah. you for assist. <laughs> yeah and even my mom says that like her family when she even when she was like a kid or or maybe a little younger her they would always call her like always worried Rachel because um, they noticed that she was like worried. worried about everything. Yeah. And like always over prepared for everything, overthinking stuff. <laughs> so these are the little things that like, you know, Manifest. were just kind of part of like who she is. And I guess like, I don't know. And you didn't know any, any different cause that's what you grew yeah, up with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was for like sure. really controlling over everything, mm-hmm. you know? Down to a T. And even to, like I said, mentioned before, religious aspects, church things. Like, we had to do things a certain way. We had to dress modestly. We had to, like, yeah, just little things that I was like, this is normal. This is, like, how you live the gospel. But, so. So, then you go to your mission. Yes. And you served in Texas, Lubbock. Mm -hmm. And did you have any of these realizations when you're on your mission did anything manifest itself i wouldn't say that it was like when i was gone i was like oh looking back these things are weird but my mom kind of had her first major like mental crash i would say or like low while i was on my mission and so that was interesting for me yeah because i'm like you know i can't really i couldn't really do anything about it and i didn't really understand what was going on either because I couldn't be there. So I just remember like, and I wish I should have gone back and looked in my journal to see if I wrote anything specific, but I just remember one P day. And also this was in the middle of COVID. So circumstances at that time were probably just rough for everyone. So that might have triggered, you know, what happened. I'm not entirely sure, but I remember one P day you know, I'm calling on the phone and she just like did not sound like herself, you know? Mm -hmm. And I like my whole life, I've always been like really tight with my mom, like of everyone, my family, we would talk the most and we could just talk and talk for a long time. And so we talked a lot on like P days on the day that I was allowed to call my family back home. And I just remember she just did not sound normal. She sounded like really like agitated or just like down and she's just like, I just feel this way. And I was, it was kind of scary, you know? I was just like, what happened? And so, of course, I talked to my dad as well. I'm not sure if it was the same day or later, but he was kind of just trying to explain to me, like, she's just feeling like really, she's really struggling. And 
we're gonna like honestly i don't even remember details it was really fuzzy but again like i was far away from home so i didn't really know You're what was happening anyways yeah but my my sisters and my dad kind of explained to me that something was like there was just something she was going through mentally it seemed like and it was abnormal and so <clears throat> i was like you know concerned and praying but also just you know all of my family were just like you know we're we're keeping an eye on her and trying to help her out like just focus on your mission right like you're going to you're going to be fine just Stay there. Keep praying for your family, but like it's like the worst answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, like so I want to know what's control. happening, but yeah. they're like, don't think about it too much. Yeah, right? when, got it. When you say like mental low, what what did that look like for her? Like the crash that you just you said. I I think it just like I mean generally how her anxiety started to manifest was that she just felt incapable of doing the things that she normally would do that she was mm -hmm. scared of everything is how she described it like okay. this scares me that scares me things that are just everyday things and i don't know if that first time like it was <clears throat> as extreme as it got later because it definitely got worse but i feel like she was just on the phone telling me like i've just felt so bad i don't want to do anything i just want to stay in bed and so i was like yeah that sounds like depression to me <laughs> you know in my head i'm like my mom's never been like this before. So, yeah. Interesting. That's cool. kind of how it was. And so, you know, far away from home, I'm like trying not to worry about it that much. And I will say, I feel like I was really blessed to still be able to focus on my mission. And I can't even remember if like that, that like crash or that low in her mental health lasted for too long because I think, I don't feel like it was something that affected the rest of my mission. I feel like she was doing better like you could call times. her she sounded normal everything was good yeah sometimes there were other times yeah. yeah and i believe at some point she was she did go to the doctor and was officially diagnosed like with anxiety and ocd possibly depression that might have been later i'm not sure but she was like officially diagnosed around that time and started getting on medications and so i think the medications i mean as has happened, happens with a lot of people, like it regulated and helped things for a while. <clears throat> and when I got back from my mission, she was doing pretty well, but I did sort of see, I think I remember, like she was doing better, but I do remember like that I noticed she was just like more nervous about things because out of the ordinary events, I'm putting in air quotes, <laughs> meaning just anything that kind of disrupts like the normal routine, routine yeah, yeah, would like cause her more stress and anxiety. I remember that like my dad and my uncle, I think they were in town for my homecoming. Well, my dad was obviously there, but my uncle, <laughs> some other family members were in town for my homecoming and they were like giving my mom a priesthood blessing because she was feeling nervous because of my homecoming. And we're like, it's all going to be good. Like, you'll be fine. But <clears throat> it's just kind of crazy how, like, it just starts small and it's just the tip of the iceberg. So you come home from your mission. Yeah. You said you move out to your apartment. Yeah, I was only in my yourself. parents' house for, like, one yeah. month because I was just, like, <laughs> my sister had moved into my room. So I had, like, <laughs> enough space for actual stuff and I wasn't planning to kick around for your long. Your parents always do that. They this is how I'm treated. Yeah. Um, my stuff was like in boxes. So I was like, I was planning to move out. And I have a cousin. 
on my mom's side that I'm really close with and she was at BYU and she was about mm-hmm. to like move to this new apartment over there and I'm a U of U student but I was like I'm fine living in Provo so I moved in with her we became roommates and that was really fun and also as I'll explain later a big blessing because she <laughs> was in on all the family stuff and sure. it was really <laughs> helpful to have someone like her in my life at that time as things got crazy but yeah I moved out and let's see that was 2021 I feel like the ups and downs, I don't remember specifics of like that year, but they were more minor. I mean, you, I would just see that my mom would get nervous about certain things, but the doctors, I, I believe she was meeting with a therapist at the time. I remember there was a ward member. While I was on my mission, I remember my, my dad or my mom explained to me that a ward member who knew of the situation and knew that she was struggling, like would pick her up and drive her to therapy, which was super oh, sweet because she didn't want to go to therapy herself. And they were <laughs> like, you need to go. And, you know, there's always like that good support system. But it's interesting because, <clears throat> and this is something I think that's just the fog and sometimes the stigma around mental health crisis is like, I kind of compare what started to happen with my mom and like the reaction of people around to like when my sister had cancer. Hmm. I mean, the ward and people that were closer with my mom, like, definitely knew about what she was going through and were really helpful and tried to reach out, like, her ministering sisters and things. But it's not like you're going to go up and the the person who prays at the pulpit is going to be like, please bless Sister Galvez that she will get over her mental breakdown or something, you know? (laughs) Like, it's so different. Like, you just don't publicize it as much. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's not seen as a disease or a medical problem, like... Something to physical treat. ailments are yeah. yeah yeah and so i think there were less people aware of it there were still definitely a lot of people helping out and i don't even know as much as you know my parents would because i wasn't in their ward at the time but yeah there were just a lot of ups and downs that year and it was just kind of interesting to see how she had to navigate you know figure out medications and going to therapy and whether she felt like those things were helping or not yeah and the medications thing is just a roller coaster. Like yeah. I can't even begin to get into it because figure out dosages. Yeah. It takes a while for things to start to work, see if they work. And then it just seems like it's just a shotgun. Yeah, approach. like you like, get on she gets on the yeah. wheel, she's going good for a few weeks and then suddenly she's bad again and it's like, did that not work? Or is it yeah. just a triggering event? Yeah. Or who knows? <clears throat> I mean, I'm definitely a huge proponent of therapy. Haven't gone to it yet myself, I will admit. But <laughs> we're big um, therapy fans. Yes, a lot of people we in my definitely family are. benefited for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I had moved out, and I, you know, I still live in Provo, which is where my parents are living still, and so I would visit like pretty much every Sunday for dinner and hang out, and. I would say around, like, coming into the next year, 2022, things just started to get, like, really wild of a roller coaster. And I don't still remember exact dates, but it was towards the end of 2022, like, starting in August, that some really hard trials started hitting my family with my mom's mental health specifically. It's it's really hard to describe, and it's like... And I think that was what made it challenging as well for those of us, like all of us who are involved, 
is that you can't really like tell someone like this is what it's like to be with my mom because mm. i feel like you have you can only know unless you're there if you're there experiencing it mm. and because i would go visit and my mom would just when she was just not doing well it's like she had a lot of physical symptoms like shaking and mm. trembling and like kind of what's the word just like anxiously like walking pacing. yeah pacing around the house not being able to like sit still and be calm and focus on anything mm -hmm. and i just remember being like i think one of the most heartbreaking things for me was her saying like that she struggled with church because she was always like i feel like just the spiritual rock like such an example in our family mm -hmm. and she always loved reading the scriptures and she would just be like i just can't feel the spirit and that was like really hard yeah, yeah. like hard for me to hear because i was kind of like in that mentality of like well there's earthly trials there's mental physical illness but like the spirit like like jesus should be able to like pierce through all of that right yeah yeah and when it's like if you can't if like mental health blocks you from like feeling the spirit like what's even left and so i couldn't like comprehend like mm -hmm. how dark and scary that was for her and it was just kind of like this gloom that would just like affect everyone around her so each time you came <clears throat> home, you kind of got these glimpses of these physical ailments that she had. Mm -hmm. And yeah. did it get to a point where it was like... Like debilitating? Like... Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so that was just like the time where I started to just not even... Like, it's so sad to say, but like, I didn't... I feel like I was going home to visit because I felt obligated to. But it didn't always feel good to be there, mm -hmm. right? And like, my home had always been a place with the spirit with my family and I would go at this time like towards the end of like 2022 when things were getting bad like I would go and I would just like barely be able to stay like <clears throat> maybe like an hour before I was like okay I need to head home because it was uncomfortable yeah it was a lot but I felt like this survivor's guilt of being like I have an apartment that I can go to and I can leave whenever I want mm -hmm. and my sisters my younger sister Maya was a senior in high school at the time, and then the next one, your next sister, Tessia, she was a sophomore, right? They're two years apart. And like high school, like mm -hmm. teenagehood is already a rough time. And when you have a mom who's like out of it, and like to say the least, and I think just also, I think it was agitating for everyone. Like she would, she's always kind of helicopter momish, but it's like on steroids mm -hmm. and she was like not doing well mentally she's like bugging them about homework bugging them about social things not wanting them to like be like you have to do this you have to do this and if my sister you know like wanted to go be with her friends or something she'd be like but what if this and you shouldn't you know she just would worry incessantly about everything God. like to a very irrational extent and it's like you can't just tell her like that doesn't make sense. Don't mm -hmm. worry about that. Like yeah. her brain just wouldn't accept it. And so it was hard for everyone. And my dad, you know, very hard for him too, obviously like dealing with, I don't know. I can't imagine like your wife just not being like your wife, mm -hmm. not being a normal person that's functioning that you can talk to relate to. And so it was just all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So I feel like <clears throat> it eventually got to a point where she hit rock bottom. And yeah. what would you say or describe yeah, what, as what rock, was bottom? That rock bottom? I think she got to a point where she just didn't... I mean, she wasn't necessarily suicidal, mm -hmm. 
but she was just she was to a point where my dad was concerned and he was like we have to intervene right she didn't want to get up she didn't have any motivation she was like i can't do anything i don't have anything to live for like she wasn't attempting to kill herself was it herself. like staying in bed for days yeah type like of she stuff? just wouldn't get out of bed and yeah and my dad was like yeah i don't know what to do we need to like get her to a place or something um so she was yeah august of that year i think it was she was um admitted to a rehab center which was like 40 minutes from us and it was more like a rehab home for like people there were more people like dealing with drug rehabilitation and things like that but it was kind of interesting because she would tell us like they're treating like my anxiety as like a drug kind of approach <laughs> it's i yeah. mean it's interesting I mean, it's kind of like makes... she's addicted to being anxious or worrying it's, about things it's a it's become more and more clear to me just how similar all all sorts mm -hmm. of different mental health disorders that really are so including including addiction anxiety depression all that kind of stuff kind it's, of a way to treat it there's a lot the of patterns yeah. yeah there's a lot of patterns interesting yeah <clears throat> so she was there and i mean how was that for you guys at home it was kind of it was like i would say a relief at first yeah because it was just like the toxic feeling of being around her and the negativity of it like as sad as that sounds like my you know my family needed a break from it but i think it was also hard because like to some extent they missed her and my dad especially like just kind of lonely like my sisters as you can imagine were <laughs> staying out of the house as much as they could during all of that and they yeah. were just trying to mm -hmm. hang out with friends i know my youngest sister like has a really really good friend and friend's mom you know like who became like her second mom mm -hmm. during that time which is super sweet but you know they were out and about doing their thing and we're like yeah like our mom i don't know it was kind of crazy for me to be talking to people around me about it at the time and just being like yeah my mom's at a rehab and it's not something i think you're ashamed of and that's not how I felt I was just like she needs help and that's what we're going through but people also don't really know how to react they're like yeah <laughs> it's hard to explain what exactly is happening I'm like she's not a drug addict <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's thank goodness point. I mean that's pretty bad too but she like can't function on her own so she has to be somewhere where people are supervising her and trying to help her yeah and she was there for a while but then she got to a point there where she broke rules enough yeah. because of her her issues with OCD or something that she wasn't agreeing or I think had some, I don't know, disagreements. I don't know the details. But she ended up needing like a higher level of care? I, she well, she just kind of got kicked out of that place mm. just because there were things that she wasn't complying with. I think she kind of stopped. I think she kind of almost got bored in a sense or mm. kind of antsy of that in that particular situation and didn't really like it enough to want to stay. And so she kind of just broke a rule and they were like, we have to kick you out. <laughs> so they sent her back home and that was after maybe a month or so. And then... Did you guys see any progress in that time? I think for a while we did, but it kind of just felt like... I don't know. 
it kind of just felt like nobody i would say it sounds horrible but like in the longer it almost felt like nobody knew exactly what to do with her hmm. so she was kind of just going back and forth so she went to that one rehab place first then came home for a little while and she seemed to be doing better but i think she was just kind of like oh home sweet home you know like like to be comfortable in her space again and my dad was trying, my dad had started getting used to like doing, taking up more of the household mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like cooking dinners for us and things. And, but it was hard because as I mentioned before, my mom's always been like the things that are her things in the household are yeah. her things. Like she didn't ever want anyone really helping her cook as much or laundry or she's so particular about all the routines. And so my dad and my sisters were just kind of doing things the way that they wanted to or needed to do them while she was gone. And she comes back and she's like, you're doing it wrong. Like, I have to do it my way. Yeah, so probably sent her into a spiral even more. Yeah. So after a while home again, she got worse again and went to another rehab place that was more specific for, I think, her type of needs. Like Like OCD, anxiety. Yeah, the mental health aspect of it and was there for a time and again we did get to visit her at these places it was always kind of interesting because it's like i've never had like a close wait that's a lie i was gonna say a close family member like in a hospital we had my sister in a hospital but it's still a very different situation like they're living they're doing their thing but it's like there's other people there and it's it was just weird to see my mom as a patient right Mm -hmm. In all of this, it kind of felt like role reversal, where it's like she'd always been the caretaker of our family, and now we're having to take care of her. Because when she is so consumed by the anxiety and the worry, she's like a little kid who's just like, I don't know, not wanting to do things, resisting, but not even just like in a rebellious way, just like a scared way. Interesting. It's like that little kid that's like, you know that they need to do something that is not like bad for them or dangerous. It's just like hard. Like telling the kid like, you gotta do your homework or like you can do this thing. You can go down the water slide. Yeah, you can like eat your vegetables. You can like learn to ride your bike even though it's a little bit scary. Like it was like, we were just always like coaxing her to do basic things. And so that was just a weird thing, too. I think getting used to that of, like, my mom can't take care of herself fully anymore. Mm -hmm. And we have to, like, help her to do basic things. And that's a lot to take on, too. Mm -hmm. I think specifically for my dad. for an adult, yeah. Yeah, exhausting for him. So she went to a second place for a while. And i don't know if it was just like a similar pattern that she was doing pretty good progressing you know the people there were telling us that they were happy with how things were going would she willingly go to these things or was it more of like Uh, go i wouldn't say it was very willingly yeah yeah (laughs) because again any change was like terrifying beyond belief for her which could be hard because when you're going through those things if Mm -hmm. you don't want help if you don't recognize that you need help yeah like you no one can make you get help kind of thing yeah yeah i believe i mean that's more of like the legal side of it but i believe that she had to be compliant to some extent to sign some stuff and be like i'll go here Mm -hmm. and i think it was more that way the second time i feel like because she had been to a place before and my dad was like well we're gonna find a different place 
And like financially, that was crazy too because it's crazy expensive. But it's also just urgent. Like my dad would be like, I don't know what to do. And I like, you're going to need help. So we honestly had some much more wealthy extended family members who really helped out with that, which Mm -hmm. we're so grateful for because it'd be like thousands and thousands of dollars just Mm -hmm. to like get her into the place. (laughs) Yeah. And then after like a few weeks of that place, I was like, I remember I was at my apartment and I don't know, I was just like doing homework or relaxing or something. And I get a phone call from my dad. And in those days, like getting a phone call from my dad was usually not a good thing because it was just another, either it was him being like, I need to talk to someone and he needed to just rant about something, Mm -hmm. stuff he was going through. Or it was like something bad happened. And he told me, your mom, they just told me that your mom, they had to take your mom to the psychiatric hospital in Salt Lake City because she's been having suicidal ideation and it just got to a point where they were too concerned and they just had to like get her out of there and I was like oh great (laughs) so that was like really hard moment because it was just like obviously I was grateful she hadn't committed suicide of course but I was like wow I didn't know it could get you know it's like you don't know you could could get worse until it gets worse yeah and so in that rehab facility when they took her to the hospital mm-hmm. okay. like they just they didn't i don't think they even had to ask permission from my dad they just took yeah, her because it was like that. she was yeah. talking about it enough that they were like no we're not going to take any risks so mm-hmm. and that was where in the psychiatric hospital up in salt lake city i don't know the full name of it but they it's, it's really I'm not sure if it's like a division of that, but I never got to go because they restrict it to only like visitor stuff is way more strict there. It's only like one adult for like half an hour once a week or something like that. So even like my whole family wouldn't be able to go at the time because my sisters were like younger or at least one of them was. Um, So my dad was the only one who visited her during that time just because that was kind of what worked out for him. And I think, I don't remember exactly how long she was there either, but I want to say it was like almost a month as well, which it's never like a goal for someone to stay, I mean, in any of these places long-term, of course, but especially at the hospital for like more than maybe like a couple weeks. It's kind of like... Usually for that kind of stuff, it's even just a couple of days yeah. and they're, they're sent back, yeah. you know? They're like, as soon as you're good, like... As soon as you're in a healthy enough place stable. that you know yeah. they're safe with themselves, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. It's kind of weird to think about, like, I don't know if at any point... I just... I mean, you can't determine, like, if someone would commit suicide or not mm-hmm. until maybe it's too late. But I just never felt like she would do that. But it... Like... When she's okay, right? I was like, yeah. at that point, she wasn't the mom that you knew. Yeah, yeah no. For sure. Like, it, and it's so interesting. The few times that my mom, like, would try to describe to us what she was feeling, she was almost like, I'm not saying it's demonic possession, because that's not the same thing. But she would just feel like there was just this power of darkness mm-hmm. over her that she couldn't shake. 
and that is like it's i think like it's real it's satan yeah mm-hmm. it's real like if, if it makes it so you have no will to live like mm-hmm. it's something very powerful and you know obviously we're not gonna say it's more powerful than god it's not but it's it's something it can seem that way Mm -hmm. interesting so so she was in there for about a month yeah did she go back to the rehab facility no she came home after the hospital and i don't think it was because she was continuously like suicidal at that time but she they just saw that she was really depressed and it was weird because we're like the hospital environment can't be like no a great place for her to try and feel happy again yeah for sure she was really isolated probably pretty bored probably but really the medicated. doctors really wanted yeah the doctors really wanted to get her to a place where she like looked forward to something again like it was i was able to talk to her on the phone during that time and i mean she was medicated a lot so it was also like it was just kind of like talking to i don't know if you I, I don't know if i'll make this comparison but like you know if you've talked to someone who's really elderly mm-hmm. and it's just kind of fuzzy yes yeah. it was kind of like that and it was strange it kind of like just felt like it was like a shell of this person who yeah. was my mom and it was sad and so we would but my dad would talk to her and visit her and she just kept expressing that she was anxious about going home. Even though he would kind of try to convince her, he'd be like, well, you need to get to a place where like, you want to go home before they let you out so that they know you'll, you'll be okay and you won't get in this situation again. And so it just took a while and we were just like praying a lot and just being like, she needs to come home. And they decided to do, I believe it's called electroshock therapy. Mm. that like rewires the brain and mm-hmm. they said it was proven to help a lot of people who have had depression but there are some downsides to it and i don't know like it's kind of whack when i i don't know what it's really what it was really like because what comes to my mind is like some crazy sci-fi thing where they're like zapping someone's brain like obviously it wasn't and... yeah it wasn't like painful they didn't do anything that was like torturous or anything of course because <laughs> that would not be legal probably but they did say that some of the downsides would be that she could potentially forget some things, not like entire wipe of memory, but like some memories and some things. So they did that therapy for a while. I think they had to do like several rounds of it. And then eventually that she got to a place where she was like feeling okay and being like, I do want to come home. Like she was like, I want to come home now. <laughs> so yeah after like three to four weeks i think in the hospital she came home and she was doing significantly better after that and hasn't been to like a rehab facility or anything since since then then. wow that's impressive which has been like a year which is good so that helped a lot but it was strange because i just think through the process of all those rehab centers and a hospital experience and the trauma and the electro shock therapy, which did good things for her, but maybe some weird side effects too. <laughs> I just felt like after all of that craziness, like she was not, she hasn't been the same person that I knew before, which is kind of inevitable. So I wanted to, <clears throat> I wanted to ask too, because I think for anybody that's listening to this, that has had somebody go through like a major depressive 
episode or season or generalized anxiety disorder or extreme OCD, like it sounds like your mom had, Mm -hmm. you really do lose that person from your life, Mm -hmm. whether it's physically or emotionally. Mm -hmm. How did, how do you feel like that took a toll on you? Because you had this, this rock that you describe in your life all growing up Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she's, she's not there though. She's not the same, right? Yeah. How, How did that affect you? In a lot of ways. I I mean, I feel like ever, not since like when I left on the mission, but like after the mission, you know, I moved out and it's like I lived in the same town as my parents again. But from that point, like things were distanced and different. And I've always been very pretty independent. I'm the oldest child. It's that natural thing of like... <laughs> I'll take care of myself, right? But I think, excuse me, me and all, and I mean, all three of us sisters in different ways throughout that experience had to become more independent because our parents' lives are falling apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our lives in some way, right? Yeah. But like our parents, <laughs> like that was just like such a heavy burden for them that they were just both in different ways trying to survive. For sure. Um that we all just kind of had to like grow up really fast, even though like we were, you know, kind of grown up age wise. But I just, I was already pretty independent. I could take care of myself. And I think, but I, it's just like, you always need your mom in your life. Like you need someone, I think an adult to be like that figure that gives you advice and like things like that and so you're doing something dumb yeah yeah. (laughs) like even things like about boys or stuff that's like seems a little trivial or exciting to share that too even just sharing about the exciting things like i i still can do that now but like it just isn't the same Mm -hmm. it's not like it was in high school where my mom and i would just i remember just sit across from each other at the kitchen table and just like just talk talk for a long time about anything like she was my best friend and i talk like that to other people and of course i have other really great supports in my life in like friends and roommates and some other family members but it's just like it won't be like that ever again with my mom so that's kind of the loss (laughs) that I've experienced and yeah that's kind of what would you because there's lots of people right now that are going through similar things obviously not the same but similar Mm -hmm. things how would you what would you say to help somebody that's dealing with loss of a loved one in that way not death but loss in in other ways yeah kind of them maybe the emotional like what what helped you through that time like what how would how would you advise someone to get through something like that whether it be a parent losing a child to anxiety depression or the other way around or even a friend you know Mm -hmm. and i guess you're still going through that yeah you don't have an answer that's yeah um well i can just talk about especially in those really rough months of my mom going to the different places and such i turned a lot obviously to this other good people in my life, people in the church. I remember talking with my bishop that I had at the time and just telling him about my struggles, telling I was really close with like two members of the bishopric. One family in that ward just really kind of felt like the one of the counselors and his wife were kind of just like second parents to me. And I would go over to their house a lot and I would talk to them 
about how things were going and just be real with them and honest. And they were always just like there to support me and checking in and everything. So turning to like church leaders, other adults. I mean, it's funny because we say adults, like I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm a baby adult. Okay. <laughs> you know, like we're young adults, yeah, we're little I'm like adults. Five year adult. <laughs> <laughs> so like older adults, right. More experienced adults who were like around my parents age or something that I kind of felt like I won't say replaced my parents because, you know, like they're still my parents, but like that could be that kind of emotional support in the time that my parents couldn't be really. And yeah, I think just staying consistent in the gospel has been a lifeline. I started serving in the temple. I would say, honestly, I think, was it july of 2022 so i guess like right before all that started happening i became a temple worker and that was like i think one of the reasons that i've just like stayed doing that for so long is like no matter what else is going on throughout my life like i go to the temple every week for several hours and i'm just there and can have some times of peace sometimes i would just go to the celestial room and just like pour my heart out to god and be like I don't know how or when this is going to get better, but like just help me to be okay, mm-hmm. help my family to be okay for this time, and what yeah, a blessing. things like that. Yeah. For that sure. couldn't have been a perfect time to be yeah. a temple worker. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever feel any, and just completely honest answer here, there's no right or wrong, mm-hmm. but did you ever feel any sense of betrayal from your mom when it came to like thoughts of suicide or? With what she was dealing with? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think it was more just kind of that, like, shell shock of, like... Why would you do that kind of thing? Well, thinking, like, what could have been. Hmm. Having to think of that reality, I mean... Yeah. That possibility. Because, I mean, I don't want to, like, downplay anyone who actually has lost a parent. Because that's... I mean, I can't even imagine. And that's, like... If it didn't happen, I don't like. I didn't even want to go there. I didn't want to think about it that much. But my dad, like, I remember him. I mean, on his side of things, like, I remember him at one point talking about like moving, maybe per, or tempor temporarily to like some of his family members' houses hmm. because he was just having such a hard time living with my mom, and us talking about like talking to my aunt and one of my aunt and uncles that we're pretty close with about like maybe like we should go live at their house or like what would happen if you lost one of your parents Mm. actually or if they were just or if your mom was so so debilitated that she literally like was in a rehab forever or something Mm -hmm. like that like it was just yeah like we had to kind of confront those possible realities a little bit and that was that was really scary Mm -hmm. like and i mean it's a weird balance of like kind of having to be a little selfish during those times and being like, I can't let these things consume my life because I was a young adult. Like, I mean, I am still a young adult. <laughs> you have to this function. was recent, right? Yeah. I was still, I was going to school. I was trying to have a social life. I was trying to do things for my future, but being like, and it's, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever had these thoughts, but you're like, 
it feels so like horrible to think this way. We're like, this would be really inconvenient if I lost a parent right now. <laughs> it's never convenient to lose someone or to have like a horrible tragedy sure. happen in your family anytime, of course. Yeah. But I was like, how would I stay in school? Like, how would I function? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would I be okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to just keep living my life and just doing the things that I love. And I don't think yeah. I don't think that's selfish. I th- it sounds like healthy boundaries to me. It sounds like you've always <laughs> kind of had a sense of of boundaries which i think is another tool that people need to have when having a loved one go through something like that like Mm -hmm. it's a it's a very fine line between you know being consumed by it yourself and being able to detach from it emotionally a little bit so you can live your normal healthy life i guess kind of to start wrapping up the story and, and how it affected you and things like that we wanted to turn to how how the gospel played a role in your perception of things and and how it helped you yeah um i mean just just as with every other aspect of my life like the gospel's been everything and kind of circling back around to what i was saying towards the beginning about how i was like as a as a young woman the youth being like no trials ever happened to me or my family like you know, what am I missing out on? How am I, like, so lucky? But, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't naive. I knew they'd have to come, and they came. <laughs> when it rains, it pours, right? And I think just the foundation that I had in my testimony of Jesus Christ was huge. And I think it was big for all of us. I'm so glad that all of my family members are still active in the church and... I think that's in large part because we just, you know, we built that foundation as a family when we were younger. And I kind of, to go into this, I wanted to go into a story of one of those tough moments in that we dealt with, like, in our home with my mom going through the struggle, but how it also was kind of connected to the gospel. I remember we were together for general conference, And I think from the talk, it must have been like April 2022. So my mom, like, never to this point has gotten bad enough to go back to any rehab center, but she still had some really tough days and trying out different medications and some things working, some things not. And one of the things that my mom was really uptight about and that bugs my youngest sister so badly is like the modesty question which i'm not going to go into that specifically (laughs) but like my mom's always been extremely strict about modesty with clothing and my youngest sister like i don't think she does anything crazy but she just likes to wear cute clothes that sometimes my mom would be like i don't think this is modest and i had come over to the house to watch general conference with my parents and my sister and in between sessions, I think it was, right? Like, usually general conference was like a fun, good spiritual time with my family. But my mom was just having one of those rough days. And between sessions, my sister was like trying on some new clothes that she had bought or something. And my mom goes into her room and sees her trying on some shirt. And she's like, I think that shirt's too tight. You should go return it. And, you know, it starts this whole argument that they an argument that they have frequently about clothing and just makes my younger sister who's like 
what, like 16 at the time, super angry, as you can imagine. <laughs> and she got so upset because my mom just kept like badgering her about it. She's like, no, no. And kind of being crazy, like just going crazy about this, this shirt. Right. And I went in there, I was kind of trying to intervene. I was like, mom, like, just leave her alone. It's not a big deal. And so my sister gets so angry. She like storms off crying and like actually runs out of the house. Like, I don't know where she was going, but like ran, running away. And my dad was there and he's like, you know, he doesn't want to, he's like, what, look what you did. And he's like, I'll go after her. So he like goes out. I don't know if he like got in the car to go after my sister. And I was just like, my mom, it was just so strange. Like my mom, it's like she couldn't understand what she was doing. It didn't feel like she was in control of herself. And I was trying to like, I was in the house with her and I was just trying to explain to her like, you need to like stop talking to Tessia like that. Like it's not helping her. It doesn't help her feel loved. Like it doesn't, a shirt doesn't matter more than your relationship with her and all these things. But she's like, I just don't, you know, it's just like she's caught up in something that's just controlling her that she can't really be like normal and empathetic and i was just like in my mom's bedroom with her and just like trying to talk to her trying to reason with her just telling her to like sit down and calm down and i was just like crying (laughs) i was just so overwhelmed by it because i didn't know why like i just couldn't understand why things were that bad why she couldn't be you know, like a normal mom and and interact like in a loving way with her daughter. And I just, I think I was just like kneeling there, like telling her like, mom, like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just was telling her like, it's going to be okay. Like, I know that, you know, it's hard right now, but we'll get through this and, you know, Jesus will help us somehow. I didn't really understand how it was going to be okay, but I was just like crying and probably silently praying in that moment. And eventually, you know, my sister didn't like run super far away or anything. Okay, so I'll go back to eventually like the next session with conference was starting because I think it was between like morning and afternoon. And my dad gets back with my sister and my sister was like, I think she just like goes to her room. She's like, my mom, I was telling my mom's like, don't talk to her. Like she doesn't want to talk to you right now. So everything was just tense and not a good mood. And we go to sit down to watch the next session of general conference. And I was just, you know, everything, it was just not, we're just, we're feeling good. And I was just like trying to listen and just feel some sort of comfort from the spirit. Right. And this sister, Amy A. Wright, gave this talk. It's titled, Christ Heals That Which Is Broken, in the April 2022 General Conference. And I just remember hearing that talk, and it was just really, really touched me. And after that session, I just drove back home to my apartment, and I like somehow found it again on like the live transmission on YouTube, because obviously they didn't, they didn't have it on like Gospel Library yet, but I was like, I just really want to listen to that talk one more time and pay attention to it. And I remember I was just like hearing her words and just feeling the spirit like speaking to me a lot. And it's this one quote um, where she just talked about, she talks a lot about, you know, Christ healing different people in different situations. And she had just explained 
the story of the lame man in front of the temple that Jesus like just like picked him up and he started to walk. And she says, oftentimes we can find ourselves like the lame beggar at the gate of the temple, patiently or sometimes impatiently waiting upon the Lord, waiting to be healed physically or emotionally, waiting for answers that penetrate the deepest part of our hearts, waiting for a miracle. Waiting upon the Lord can be a sacred place, a place of polishing and refining where we can come to know the Savior in a deeply personal way. Waiting upon the Lord may also be a place where we find ourselves asking, Oh God, where art thou? A place where spiritual perseverance requires us to exercise faith in Christ by intentionally choosing him again and again and again. I know this place and I understand this type of waiting. And she talks about how she went through cancer and how she learned to be patient through all that and just the ways that the Lord heals us. And she says that our focus should be less about the way in which we are delivered and more about the deliverer himself. Our emphasis should always be on Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I just, I found those words so powerful because I was like, I remember just hearing so many conference talks over the years about trials, and I was like, I know there's people out there going through hard things and they need this, but like, thank goodness it's not me, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, all right but finally, <laughs> yeah, finally it was me, like, needing that message and needing to know that, this period of just like painful waiting for things to be better, waiting for my mom and all of us to be delivered from that trial in a sense was like, you know, that was like a holy sacred Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. for me to be refined, for all of us to be refined. And I think for now, right, we've kind of gotten over the, the worst part of things and it doesn't mean every day is easy, but I definitely just had to come closer to my savior in that time. You know, my prayers were probably still to this day, like the most sincere prayers I'd ever had. It was just like desperately praying for relief for my family, but also having to trust the timing and the process and know that, you know, even if my mom will not ever be the same person she was before that someday, like, Christ will heal everything that's been changed, everything that's broken about her. You know, someday she'll be back to, I guess, who she was before and Mm -hmm. even better, even if that's in the next life. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, I have this this quote pulled up from Elder Holland from October 99. It's Mm -hmm. a really, really famous quote, but I just wanted to share I think one of the hardest things in today's world is the overwhelming amount of mental health problems that people go through, whether it be yourself or someone close to you, a loved one. I remember, I don't know, I just think that that hope is something that people need to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like Christ actually does heal and it's in his own timetable. And I remember being in really close relationship with someone that I really loved who was going through a really hard mental health struggle and it was just never getting better. And the only thing that kept me happy, that kept me hopeful was the fact that, yeah, Christ does heal. Christ does heal things. And it's not perfect right now. It might not be perfect as long as we're alive, but eventually they will be. And so I want to share this real quick. Mm -hmm. It's from his talk in High Priest of Good Things to Come. It's the very last paragraph. He says, I testify that God lives, that he is our heavenly father, 
that he loves each of us with a, div- with a love divine. I testify that Jesus Christ is his only begotten Son in the flesh, and having triumphed in this world, is an heir of eternity, a joint heir with God, and now stands on the right hand of his Father. I testify that this is their true church, and that they sustain us in our hour of need, and always will, even if we cannot recognize that intervention. Some blessings come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. Of that I personally attest. I thank my Father in heaven for his goodness, past, present, and future. And do so in the name of his beloved Son, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that any time anybody on our podcast has ever gone through a trial, the natural man, it's really easy to become bitter, right? I'm serving you. I went on a mission. I was following your commandments. And I love what Elder Holland says. When you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ for everything that it is, they're not going to come today. They might not come tomorrow, but they'll come eventually. And I think that's such an important principle to understand that the natural man is going to get you to to try and be mad at God about Mm -hmm. this trial or about this difficulty. But that will do nothing for you or your relationship with God. So I think it's always important to... To remember embrace i love that word embrace the gospel of jesus christ take it with everything you are if you ever had like the best hug of your life like <laughs> embrace the gospel with everything that you can imagine i think that's cool turn turn to it right mm-hmm. turn to it in your hour of need use it as a coping mechanism mm-hmm. yeah. as your coping mechanism 100 percent. it's pretty much the only good one <laughs> there yeah. is right yeah everything the only one that not... brings yeah with a surety healing right yeah. Yeah. nothing else has a hundred percent success rate but Jesus sure does. Am I right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. And I think I mean this isn't the situation for every trial, but I've seen already some immediate blessings that have come to us in, over time. Like in this exact moment, like my relationship with my family is really different than it was before, but it's stronger. I think it's definitely so much stronger mm-hmm. to go through something like that as a family. I mean, it's funny because I, I still, you know, I've, obviously I still struggle with the fact that it's like my mom isn't the mom that I I can go to and just talk to about anything like I did before, but I have to just be grateful every time I get to give her a hug and just be like, mm-hmm. you're still here with us, and that's a miracle. Yeah. For example, my relationship with my next sister, Maya, is a lot stronger now because she, with what was going on at home at the time when she turned 18, she wasn't sure what she wanted to do, but she decided to move out and live with me. And I wasn't as close with her in like years, the recent years right before this time, just because I had been on my mission and kind of was doing more of my own thing, even when I was like older teens, just kind of you know out a lot and so now that we're roommates like we can always talk about our family stuff and the things that we went through and it's still definitely really hard for her Mm -hmm. like I'd say both my younger sisters have a lot more mental health struggles now than I do and than they did in the past but I feel like I'm really glad that we're, we're roommates because we're there for each other we can support each other and talk about those things and yeah, and I'm just 
so grateful for my family and how strong all of them are. My mm-hmm. dad especially, just he's a rock star. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> for everything that he's had to go through and everything he's dealt with, and he's just stays strong for our family. It's not easy, but you see how, I mean, the blessings of having a family in the gospel, those eternal bonds that we have through the ceiling and the temple and mm-hmm. all the trials we experience, right? It's for our growth. Exactly. And it's and it's all gonna be okay yeah. someday, for sure. Well, Sienna, thank you for coming on today. I really for real. loved hearing this story. It's very opened my eyes to a lot of things. But we want to finish with our last question. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing from your experience that you would like to bring into the light to our listeners, what would that one thing be? That's tough. You should have told me this question before I started. <laughs> it's always a hard one. How do I summarize, right? Ironically, I'm an English major, but I'm super bad at summarizing. <laughs> I would say just no matter what you're going through, just leaning on the Lord is key, mm-hmm. right? And mental health challenges are super complex. So, you know, I think if you know anyone who's dealing with that or anyone who's dealing with close family member right friend that's dealing with it you know don't don't try to diminish it at all don't try too hard to understand it because it's really hard to understand from the outside but just just be there for them the -hmm. support means more than you can imagine and I I know that from coming from my own family and the people who have been there for us and have prayed for us and fasted for us throughout all of it and it's just it all comes down to having the support of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's invaluable. So it's awesome. Amen. That's yeah, sure. that's Amen. great. Jesus is everything, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sienna. Of course. Well, we love you guys. We hope you got something from this episode and please reach out to us. If you did, we'd love to let Sienna know yeah, the things that sure. you pulled from this episode. Always remember that we love you and Jesus loves you so much. And everybody is a beautiful son and daughter of God. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Bye.